Hello and welcome to the Chili Dog Strings podcast. I'm Neil Fong-Gilfillan. And I'm Rachel Sampson. Thank you for joining us as we open up new conversations in the world of music education. Today on our podcast, we have friend, mentor, jazz violinist, teacher extraordinaire, Christian House. <laughs> the one and only. The one and only. Thanks for being here with us, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great to hang with you guys. I love you guys. I'm so cool. It's so cool that Chili Strings is doing all Chili Dog Strings is doing all the great stuff you're doing. Glad to wrap with you guys tonight. Thanks. Awesome. So we have brought you on because we are really vocal about how much we love you and how much um we've learned over the years with you and we think it's about time our audience gets to hear from you (laughs) especially surrounding our experiences uh in the creative strings workshop world um absolutely and for for maybe the one listener of ours who's there who doesn't know who you are yet can you (laughs) fill them in on what what you're about yeah what should they know about you chris well, I'm a Suzuki-trained violin player uh, who then got into all kinds of other types of music, and now I'm, I teach classical musicians about improvisation, contemporary styles, and related subjects. Fantastic. Yeah, just uh, a wellspring of knowledge right here, embodied in one person. Really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, this, this, I mean, you guys came to Creative Strings Workshop in Columbus, and that's the annual summit I've been doing for 16 years. You came last year. And, you know, I had worked with Neil for, you know, before that, and Rachel, both of you guys a little bit. Um, and, but it's, I think, well, yeah, and we went, we did private lessons, you know, and sort of, I took you guys through sort of like essential modules, right? Of, mm-hmm. of, because you guys were kind of both like, how do you do this stuff, Chris? Because you guys really care. I mean, you're great Suzuki teachers and you're great players and great classical musicians. And but you cared so much about your students that you were like, we want to be able to give them more. And so you kind of hit me up and you're like, you know, what is this all about? What do what do I need to learn? And I was like, look, let's do like six lessons and I'm gonna give you the essential modules, right? And that's what each of you guys did with me. And then you came to the Creative Strings Workshop, which is a gathering in the first week of July in Columbus. And uh, I've been so impressed with you guys and that that was why I asked for us to work together to do one in Dallas, which we're going to do hopefully shortly after this podcast comes out, like just uh, the last weekend in May. So anybody that's hearing this in Dallas, you should come out to Chili Dog and hang out with all of us for the weekend. We're going to do it for kids. We're going to do it for adults in Dallas. And then if you're if you want to come to Columbus for the big thing, uh, we got you guys coming back this summer. Um, and I can cover some of these essential modules a little bit if you want for your, for your listeners. Yeah. would would love to, to give people a picture of what it's going to be like when they see it. Yeah. So, I mean, you had prepped me for the call and you said, you know, like, I guess why, like, what are people going to get out of learning improvisation, learning contemporary styles, learning the things that are in these essential modules, if you will. Yep. Uh, and when I say essential modules, what I would say is like, I love classical music. I love, I'm a Suzuki dad twice over. I'm a proud Suzuki graduate. And I'm so humbled by teachers, especially full-time teachers like yourselves. Like, I'm just like, not worthy. Like, I'm so respectful of what you guys do. And, um, 
love classical music, also believe that like from my classical training, even being at the like the top elite levels as a classical player, like there was these huge deficits, like there was these limits in terms of my skills as a musician and in terms of what I saw music as and what I could hear in music, even mm. as a Suzuki kid. Right. And so it's first of all, just acknowledging that I'm not like knocking classical music. I'm not saying I love classical music, but I'm saying there's so much more in the world of music that we can benefit from. And, uh, I would say there's th sort of three main pillars. One is about being creatively expressed, creatively self-expressed. I mean, mm -hmm. while classical music is creative, it's not creative in the same way as when you make something from scratch. You make something that is so distinctly coming from you. You can play Tchaikovsky, Rococo variations, or you know, Bach A minor, and you can do it your own way, but that's different than like, arranging a piece of music in your own way or improvising on a piece of music your own way like or writing a piece of music from that just came from you and there's something really profoundly gratifying about being creatively self-expressed that way with music we're all creatively self-expressed as human beings in different facets of our lives whether it's through like the way you cook or you the fashion or the language you use when you talk or just how you interact with people but for classical musicians we typically feel we we come to this conclusion about ourselves that we're just not creative musically <laughs> you know and it's not you know because it wasn't encouraged so that's why i love about what you guys are really committed to one of the things you're committed to is is giving your students that sense of creative self-expression and neil does this with you know it doesn't you can do it it doesn't matter what genre it doesn't matter if it's harmonic or rhythmic or if it has blues or doesn't or you know neil does it with record scratching and he does it with like suzuki tunes and you guys do it with your blogs and all this kinds of stuff but that's one pillar it's yeah. like being committed as a musician to find to be creatively self self-expressed you know whatever that means the second component is sort of being willing to look under the hood it's kind of like you know with all the millennials that i deal with my kids you know one of my well, my oldest kid cammy you know it's like i don't know how to use my computer you know and cammy would be like dad all you got to do is just like look read the directions you know what i mean i kind of feel it's the same way with music like as classical musicians, like we're just like afraid to like open the manual and like be like, well, how do these chords fit together and how do these rhythms work? And like, but that's what rock musicians do. That's what, you know, gospel musicians and, you know, a lot of different uh, cultural traditions of musicians, you know, they figure it out. They, they kind of make sense of like. I guess, applicable music theory. And so that's the second pillar is like, let's not be afraid to look under the hood and see how does this stuff fit together and get some, some applicable music theory, not the theory we took in college, <laughs> you know, some of that's good too, but I mean, like, let's, let's figure out how can we use it to like write a song or to like navigate a, the form of a song. And, um, and the third pillar is, I would say to have a broad exposure, um, to broaden our exposure to different kinds of music and start to appreciate some of the nuances in other styles of music outside of classical music. All of your students probably, if they're teenagers, don't only play classical music and listen to classical music, but they probably also listen to other kinds of music. And it's like, so we are all attracted to other kinds of music outside of classical music, but it's like, what about trying to play that music, trying to understand it? So having a broadening in terms of our appreciation for these other cultural traditions or traditions of music, those are kind of the three pillars. That's like what I feel is like the, 
the kind of the deficit in my skill set and in my pedagogy and my musicianship after coming out of my classical training. And that was the thing that I wanted to figure out uh, as a musician and then as a pedagogue. And so that's when I sort of developed these essential modules. What I think people will get from that is a lot. I think that people will be more marketable. So it means, you know, like you'll be able to serve the community in different ways and more people will want to work with you just like you guys are serving your studio in the ways mm. that they want to be served. If a 12 year old like wants to like deal with some hip hop, like like you can serve that kid. So that means you're more marketable. You know, if yeah. you're a violinist and somebody wants you to be able to go play with a DJ, you're more marketable. You can do more things if they want you to arrange. You can be hired for a wide range of things, which is important just on a practical standpoint. And it also makes it more we have more variety in our life that way, you know, so you can be more marketable. You can have more variety in the things you do have more continuing challenges and a variety of challenges. I think we also feel a deep sense of satisfaction from being creatively self-expressed because it's like, we don't have to compare ourselves to Yo-Yo Ma or it's like Perlman or who, you know, whoever yeah. it is. It's like, it's like, nobody sounds like Neil, you know, like like nobody did an arrangement of uh, what's the drop the drop the <laughs> drop it like Gavon. drop it like Gavon. yeah like, like, that, like nobody did that like only Neil did that like you know what I mean so it's like there's there's a sense of satisfaction and pride and 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 being really celebrating your in who you are and the personality and like the your voice and having there's a sense of like it, it almost doesn't matter like how you play the Rococo variations. I mean, I'm sure you sound great on the Rococo variations, but it's like if all we have to measure our musical worth is what chair we get in the orchestra based on mm. like our how we place on our Rococo variations, isn't it nice to know like, well, yeah, I do that, but then look, this is really my sound. Like here's this drop it got like Gavant thing, and here's yeah. this other I did. And, you know, um, absolutely. And I, w I want to say that's one thing that really surprised me about taking lessons with you, because I thought, you know, oh, Chris House, he's this jazz violin guy. And I was ready for you to say, OK, you're going to start with this tune, go to this tune, go to this tune. And I was really surprised when you really just basically were taking a look at what I was interested in, figuring out what my voice was. And it's funny because even when I, even after that, when I went to the creative strings workshop, I was like, okay, so I've had some lessons. I see what's up. So I'm ready to hang with the cool jazz cats and learn more about this. No, I was so surprised that there to, to meet a hip hop cellist, a girl on violin doing EDM music, people doing, <clears throat> doing like spiritual and worship music. Like, like I, I got so inspired by seeing people really find their own voice. And I feel like I didn't even figure that out until just like the last couple of years by really exploring that and having you tell me, no, like figure out what you want to do, figure out what you want to play and just really exploring that in lessons. That was so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Self-expression. Well, it's real. And, and, and to be, and to be honest, it's been a dilemma for me because you know, it's, you have to describe what you do. And a big part of what I do or have done is, is in the quote unquote jazz industry. Sure. And then, you know, and then, so there is this kind of canon of jazz stuff, but I really, um, outside of that, when I'm working with so many classical musicians, it's not at all about saying like, well, you've got to go through the steps of the jazz studies thing, because there's more, because jazz studies can be very narrow as well. 
Hmm. And it's just like what you said. It's like, what about all these other things in the world of music and allowing people to find that? There's there's a lot of good lessons in jazz theory and jazz studies and all the you know the body of work. But often it's so fixated on a very specific context and values that are related to the jazz canon. And I don't see any reason why people need to go into that canon, even though I love it, you know, and I think it is really important uh, to make that distinction. And that's part of what creative strings is, is it's kind of filling that gap too, because we do tend to teach some similar things like, well, how do you play over a chord progression? Well, you can learn that if you study jazz, right? But Hmm. we're not, approaching it always the same with the same add-ons that a jazz studies person would be like you know so if you could if you start in jazz people are going to be like very typically they might be like okay so here's a swing groove and here's a blues progression and here's a blues scale and you know so now play this bebop tune or whatever for example right and i'm just simplifying but it's like a lot of classical musicians are not interested in learning a, a bebop tune or a swing groove um and so you're going to kind of turn them off if you force them into that box. And a lot of people, they try to get into the jazz thing and they see that it's like really hard and they kind of get turned off. And so that makes me sad, too. Mm. Like I'd much see some I'd much rather see what you've done in the last year, which is all this stuff. Like you're putting out so much stuff, whereas if you were just like, I've got to play Scrapple from the Apple and <laughs> Cherokee and jazz standards and stuff, you might not feel as empowered to to follow through with your own stuff because because it's really hard to play Cherokee on a high level. But in the meantime, you've been able to find a way to to work on jazz and which you you're doing great on that, by the way. I mean, you oh, know, thank you. But but you're not stopping that having that stop you from putting out all this other cool stuff. So so that's part of what's different with what I do is that I'm really serving classically trained string players and and helping them find a path that's not specific to jazz all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um so it's 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 so clear what it can do for for musicians and, and classical mu- musicians in particular. Um, and we've seen in our studio really huge benefits from being able to explore our students' interests and see what they're into and help them discover what their instrument really li- is like as their own voice. And um, we've seen everything from students who really just want to get up there and share what they got and feel a real personal connection with their instrument and their music. We've seen some students who um, it, it almost looked like they were losing that connection with their instrument and not really enjoying it as much as they used to. And, you know, when you start seeing those red flags as a teacher, like, hey, this kid might not be hanging in this for long. They, they might be ready to drop it. We've seen kids do a 180 when they realize that they can really play their favorite stuff on their instrument. It's, it's just amazing to see what it can do. For, for young students, is there anything interesting in particular that you've seen when they start this kind of playing? I would say that for kids between the age of three and um, let's say maybe the age of three to, to seven, I really like to focus on just games um, and intuitive creativity, um, not pushing theory onto them in any way. And um, so like just doing makeup songs and something called the sentence game, which is like, we can show people if, you, if you're open to it. Yeah. So, 
So and you can do this with a four-year-old, three-year-old, right? So this is the sentence game. So um, I say a word, then you say a word, then I say a word, then you say a word, then I say a word until one of us says period. Okay, okay. are you ready? Can we try it? Who okay. wants to do it? Ra Rachel, you want to do it with me? Or sure. Viola? Okay, you want to go first or, I, or you want me to go first? <clears throat> you can go first. Okay, today. I. Would. Love. To. Entertain. Friends. Outside. Period. <laughs> that was great. Thank you for playing that game with me, Rachel. And it's, uh, um, so, so that's the sentence game. So then I would say, okay, so now let's do it with our instruments. So, um, do you want me to start first or would you like to start first? I'll put this one on Neil. I'll just let him sing. I'll okay. This is killer, okay? okay. So would you like to go, would you like to play the first note or for me to play the first note, Neil? Um, I'll do the first note. Okay. And then, so we do a note each until one of us says period. <clears throat> okay. Okay. I'll give you an A just for your reference. Okay. Thank you. So now you. you can start wherever you want. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> la. 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 Period. Yeah. <laughs> so then the next thing is to be like, okay, so that was fun. So how would you like to change the rules? Do you think we could change the rules? And then you could say like, well, let's each do two notes or let's all three play or like, yeah. let's do a question mark instead of a period. And so this is like, just like a super silly fun game or let's do it, but we have to be way up high on our instruments. Where we have no idea what it's going to sound like or with pizzicato or like, you know, so, so these kinds of um, creating games, uh, with like really simple rules um, for a three-year-old or four-year-old. This is what I love to do. And then once they get comfortable with something like that, then I just like to um, to just do makeup songs. It, it eventually becomes just like really free, creative play. And what I tell parents and teachers is the most important things is to to be willing to model your own willingness to be silly and have fun in the game. And that was something we, I talked about a lot with Rachel. I mean, I think was like, you know, that this is, you know, uh, there was times I think when I was working with Rachel, when she was like, and so this is it, you know, because like, like, Rachel was actually like really good at it, you know, like in a lot of the exercises that she'd be working on with like improvising over the chord changes and doing these things. And, but we were trying to work on free improvisation and, and I was giving Rachel exercises like, okay, so just play quarter notes and, you know, like, like, you know, um, Or she might play that, right? And I was like, and she was like, okay, I did it. And I was like, well, that was great. How do you feel now? And she's like, I don't know. It's <laughs> and I was like, well, so it's kind of like the, you know, um, and then so, you know, and I might, or I might've said, and she might've done that one in like in D major. And I might say, okay, now this time do it, but use all 12 notes. So she might do, you And I'd be like, well, how's that? She'd be like, yeah, I don't know, fine, you know, or something <laughs> like that. And, and, you know, and that, 
And you get that reaction from adults a lot of times, you know, when they're kind of like, yeah, but is that really, there's like a question. They're kind of like, but is that really music or where do I go from there? And it's like, but a kid doesn't feel that way. They're just like, this is awesome. You know what I mean? And so I feel like for us to be able to model that, that, that spirit of discovery and creativity and fun and also the vulnerability of being like, just willing to go there and just see what it is and not have it need to be right or not yes. have it need to be profound. Yes. And it's like, it's, I think for, you know, for us to be able to model that to kids is really important. And there's a lot of teachers that I work with who are afraid themselves and they kind of can't get over themselves to go into that space with the kids. And I feel like the kids read that. So to me, mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest things we can do for kids is to engage in games with them and creativity. And I tell the parents the same thing. Whenever I do Suzuki type stuff, I always sit down and talk to the parents because that's a part of it, right? You know, it's like, so parents, this is what you can do. You can engage in games and creative play with your kids. It can be in the car, you can be singing songs, you can do the sentence game, you like you can do a fun dance while they make up a song, you know, you can tell a story, they make up a song, you can make up a song and they tell a story. It's just this kind of stuff. That sets the stage so that later on when they're eight or ten or twelve or whatever, you can they're not they're not freaked out about it. Well, and that that sounds like a great way to really help kids deal with that idea of not worrying about it so much if you miss one of the notes or if you make a mistake. I think that's the same thing that you see in educators who are trying to figure this stuff out, including me. Um, you know, because I'm I am not as vocal about it as as Neil in terms of creative output, but it's this whole concern with like getting it right. Right. Mm, and so yeah. I think I love your response because it really hits the nail on the head of two major pillars in the Suzuki world, which is like setting a foundation and then also making sure that the adults who are responsible for these kids are putting it into their environment like it's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So do it from the beginning and um, also model it as much as possible. That really resonated with me. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause I feel like a three-year-old, like they don't, it's, they don't need to be right. You know, like they're not worried about it until they're seven or, or eight, you know, or something until they've been like, that's all, you know, but if from the beginning they're getting this, like, you know, there's a time for play. And then there's also a time for like, let's try to do this thing according to the rules or whatever. But I feel like if you balance those, what I usually say is like at the end of a, practice session okay so let's let that be makeup time mm -hmm. and uh or i encourage that anyway you know it's like okay do the three songs that you know mrs rachel asked you to do with all the notes and all the you know instructions and play on the highway and long bows or whatever it is and then okay now it's makeup time so now we're just going to do whatever we want and what game do you want to do now and and then i feel like that creates this kind of energy about music but also with suzuki songs one of the fun things that um uh, Dalton, my eight-year-old was doing was, do you guys ever use the coloring, uh, or I'm sorry, the finger charts. Yes. So, you know, like there's like a finger chart that's like, you know, the, this fingering or, or right. It's like low one, high two, low two, you know, high Those, three. Uh, Barbara Barber finger geography, fingerboard geography charts. Right. Yeah. With the color so, coding. So, mm. so this is like a, a way to like to um, make modes simple, right? And and I'm sure that every Suzuki teacher has had their 
you know, seen this sometime where the kid was like, well, why don't we play, you know, uh, Go Talent Roadie with Low 2? You know, and it's like, and I think there's probably some people who are like, no, you can't do that. That's, you know, quit messing around, you know. But uh, what, what I had Dalton do was like play Go Talent Roadie with like, you know, all the finger charts, you know, like, and mix the finger charts. And so mm. he was having fun with that. And then that's actually like modal. That's really like exploring, uh, you know, all the different modes and colors. And with a lot of these early Suzuki songs, they're perfect for it because they're so centered around the tonic, you know, Suzuki book one for violin. So if you take like, um, you know, like uh, in Liddy, and if you just play high three on A, then you get... You know, or if you just you change the fingering chart and let's do it with perpetual motion this time, you know. <laughs> you know, it's I mean, that's like that's fun and it's productive um, now. OK, granted, when a kid is learning perpetual motion, they're not ready for all those fingerings yet. Sure. But when they're in but when they're in book two. And they're doing review and they have to go play on play-ins and stuff and they still have to keep up these old songs. Why not say, hey, let's go back to perpetual motion, but let's do it with all these different fingering charts. And what that's I mean, yeah. that's like and that's a big module that I do work on with very sophisticated adults, which has to do with um, exploring modes, modes of the of the scale. And uh, so you can get kids that really you can get them the whole idea just with stuff like this playing the fingering charts and what i love about that as a teaching tool is that if if the teacher assigns that it's 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 really clear whether the students worked on it or not like like it's one thing to say hey review perpetual motion you know practice your tone and sinking your bow hold and sinking in the string and we'll look at it next week but it's one thing if you say that same thing and say with this finger pattern you know yeah, what right, i mean right. and write it down and yeah. have them bring it in yeah, do yeah. it with the orange fat pattern and the green pattern and whatever one you choose, you yeah. know, or whatever. And I think you that know. makes it a lot more interesting from the student's end, too. A lot more exciting. Chris, this has been just a fantastic, action-packed talk. Um, is there anything Hopefully else? I haven't talked too much. Not <laughs> at all. It's been the perfect amount. <laughs> as, as far as uh, Creative Strings Workshop in Dallas or Ohio goes, is there anything else that you want people to know? Yes. Um, come to Dallas for the Creative Strings Workshop, um, Dallas, first year with at Chili Dog Strings. And we're going to be at the Suzuki Institute in Dallas, I believe. June 1 through 3. Yeah. June, oh, June 1 you. June no 1 and 2 is the intensive session for adults, and June 3rd is the youth day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anybody anywhere near Dallas, I mean, within 300 miles, you know, definitely come for that. <laughs> and, uh, and anybody anywhere uh, also consider coming for our flagship event, which is uh, the first week of July in Columbus, Ohio, every year. It's the Creative Strings Workshop. And uh, we're probably – and you guys will be there. I'm so glad. Um, but it's a gathering. You can find out about it on my website, Christian House, H-O-W-E-S, ChristianHouse.com. Go to education. And also – Go there just to get my free e-course, the Creative Strings e-course, because I'll send you a bunch of free charts, a bunch of free courses, and it's really like a ton of you know instructional videos you can share with your students or you can learn yourself. It's like a wide range of stuff. There's podcasts, there's videos, real educational content. You can always find me too. Just hit me up uh, on my website, chris at christianhouse.com. 
my contact info is there. I always respond to everybody. Um, so if you guys have questions, just hit me up. Yeah. yeah we can't recommend your stuff enough. We, uh, we, we went to, I don't know if we told you this, when we went to the, the workshop in Ohio, we were basically looking at that as this year's teacher training, you know, because we always like to go study with whoever we can and step up our game as teachers. And uh, we didn't really know what to expect. And we were absolutely more than happy that, that we ended up choosing to go all the way to Ohio to do that last year as our teacher training. I think it's safe to say it exceeded our expectations. 100%. Ten, tenfold, 100 100%. Absolutely. So anybody who's on the fence, do it. Yes, um, go. Yep. So check out Chris. <laughs> check, out, check out the YouTube channel. Stuff on Facebook. It's great. A lot of great ideas. And the website. Well, I appreciate you guys so much. Thanks for having me on the on your podcast. It's great. Oh, yeah. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for your time, yeah. Chris. We'll see you in a little bit. Out. Out. Hey, everybody. It's Neil and Rachel. Hello. We want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you haven't yet, we'd love for you to leave us a rating on iTunes and let people know what you think. We welcome your feedback and thanks for your generosity. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye.